podcast all about the importance of the clothes we wear and happy halloween everybody (laughs) in this episode i am interviewing katie godman all about her wonderfully gothic book gothic fashion the history from barbarians to haute couture Katie Godman, the author of this book, who you may also recognise from our interview at Blandford Fashion Museum, is a costume librarian. She also studied MA in Fashion Cultures, History and Culture at London College of Fashion and received the Yarwood Award for the Costume Society. She's presented papers at the Association of Dress Historian Conferences, as well as at the International Conference of Romanticism. She has also written for the Journal of the Association of Dress Historians alongside this wonderful book gothic fashion the history now this book provides an in-depth overview of the evolution of the darker side of style it charts gothic dress from its ancient and medieval origins to its various revivals and romanticized rebirth examining its cultural inspirations including folklore 19th century novels the silver screen and rock music so if that's something you're interested in and you're all about the gothic the history of the gothic and its connection to fashion, this is an episode and a book for you. So keep listening to find out how, from the ancient barbarians responsible for the fall of Rome, we found our ways to the black-lit teenager updating their Instagram profile from a graveyard. (laughs) Goths have been with us for a long time, and this book and this episode will tell you all about how ideas about what is gothic have changed and mutated, and how a fascination with the dark and dramatic has remained a constant to this day. So, without further ado, welcome Katie. Welcome Katie to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Do you want to just introduce yourself a little bit to my listeners just so they know why you're here and what you're going to be talking about? Yes, thank you Belle for having me on. It's really nice to be on the podcast. My name is Katie Godman. I'm the author of Gothic Fashion, The History, uh, which is a book which charts the history of Gothic fashion in all its various incarnations from barbarians to haute couture. Um, I am currently the Museum Operations Manager at Blandford Fashion Museum in Dorset. Um, I have an MA in Fashion History and Culture from London Colleges of Fashion. And as I I was just telling Belle before we started recording, Mm -hmm. I used to be a costume librarian as well. So that's my background. Lovely. We're sort of mostly here to talk about your book. Obviously, it's coming up to Halloween, so it's perfectly Mm. well-timed, I think. But what motivated you to write this book and specifically a book about gothic fashion and its history, not just its sort of modern incarnations? Because I think that's quite interesting. Yeah, so I was doing my um, MA, Quite a few years ago, um, I ended up wanting to focus on the shift between the neoclassical fashions of the Regency and then the sort of romantic Gothic fashions of the Victorian period and what caused that shift. Largely because I always, well, I find it interesting sort of flicking. If you flick through compendiums of fashion, you kind of get the big dresses of the um, 1700s and then they slim right down to the Regency and then suddenly... And Regency dresses look almost modern, like maxi dresses, don't they? And then mm. suddenly they puff back out again into the um, Victorian dresses. So initially I was thinking, well, why did that happen? And then I went, yeah, to do my thesis about about the shift from the neoclassical. Because the shift from the um, style of the, the Rococo sort of styles to the neoclassical is quite well documented in the French 
revolution and various mm. other, that's a whole other rabbit hole, but there's quite a lot written about that, whereas there was less, I found, that was written about why there was a shift between the um, neoclassical regency to the Gothic romantic sort of Victorian styles. And as I, I thought, I'll do my MA, uh, my thesis on it. And I went, I was lucky enough to win the Yarwood Award um, and that funded me to go around to different archives of museums throughout the country. Yeah, it was really nice. It was a really good experience. And I went to Chertsey Museum, Blaise Castle, Blaise Castle House Museum, which is in Bristol. I went to, to the Platt Gallery, which was in Manchester. And I think that's now been absorbed into Manchester um, art galleries, but it was at the time a freestanding um, fashion collection. And I went to Brighton. And Worthing uh, Art Galleries, they've got a really big fashion collection oh, there. Yeah. yeah, it's lovely there, isn't it? Um, and I went to, um, I went up north and I went to um, Bo- the Bowes House as well. They don't have a massive collection of costume really, but they had a few pieces on display. Yeah, so it funny me to go around all of those pieces, uh, places, which is really good. And like, that's why I wrote my thesis on was that shift. And as I was researching, it turned out one of the reasons for the shift was an uh, increased interest in gothic literature mm. um, and gothic novels at the time, which I found really interesting and made me think of goths today and sort of cosplaying and things like that. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And um, and I was sort of wondering if there was any parallels. And as I've been studying fashion history, the word gothic gets mentioned a lot in different periods with slightly different incarnations, mm. thinking, um, is there any... And then I was sort of wondering about the journey of Gothic, and I couldn't find a book essentially that that uh, traced the very early origins of what the where the word Gothic and Goth came from, right through to the 1980s and you know modern day Goths, and then everything that was in between it. And there were books about architecture that were focused on certain mm. periods. There was a lot of books about Gothic literature. There's quite a lot of books about the modern Goth movement, like from the 1970s and the 1980s. Yeah, yeah. But there wasn't a book that did the whole thing. So I thought, that's interesting. Um, and then I um, sort of was thinking about it for, you know, a few years. And then I wrote a proposal, essentially, for doing a book that would cover the From Barbarians to Oakature and Unicorn. I and mean, it was in the pandemic that I started submitting it and Unicorn Press accepted the idea and the my first chapter was basically my thesis so it was the regency goths as I always call them (laughs) which was a really interesting period and then I kind of went backwards and forwards from there and it's supposed to be quite accessible and almost quite a fun starting point so you can use it a big overview of the whole use and styles of goth and gothic and then you can then use it and jump off and go down to all these other various niche books that focus on it if that makes sense because there's a bibliography and things like that um, so the main thing was was also making it yeah accessible and then Unicorn were really keen to make it like really attractive and really pretty so there's lots yeah. of lovely pictures in there and really nice job has been done on presentation and things like that so yeah almost like a gateway so you could sort of see everything and then you can go on your own eventually. Yeah. <laughs> no totally I, I really like that about it it feels like you said it's really accessible but there is some seriously interesting like tidbits and really detailed information in there and I think you can't have a fashion book without pictures because 
fashion is about how for the most part you know like there's so many books that I pick up you know fashion focused ones I'm like why why are there no pictures I want to see what you're talking about which is maybe ironic because I'm doing a a podcast which is not very visual medium (laughs) you know I I love that part of it because then you mention certain things um you know like the history of witchcraft and Henins and things like that and then there's Mm. pictures to go alongside with it and it's like oh yeah I can now put something towards what you're saying and it yeah it really helps I know when we first yeah when we first said about pictures and then I was quite involved with discussing the pictures I suppose they would kind of say is it this is a whole other wormhole but they didn't take any pictures particularly for the book they just have publishers have access to these sort of photographic archives and they'll go Mm. through and be like right what would you like a picture of and then they'll be like we find five pictures which is the one that you want so that's how this Uh. person sort of worked and I also then had access to the archive myself and then I would go through and um say oh maybe we can have this one but to begin with there was like yeah even more pictures and even more descriptions but then you have to really think like that actually costs a lot of money. To, lot to of get, that's true. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, yeah, you're talking about kind of obscure things, and because I want it to be accessible, yeah, you do have to have pictures to illustrate what certain things, certain things mean, because you're having people that are maybe coming it to the fashion history, and it might be their first time they've read a fashion history mm. book. So you kind of need the the pictures to be honest help, and then you're trying to use the context as well. You spoke a bit about distinct time periods, neoclassical and regency and how that evolved. But what are the key historical periods and influence that really shaped Gothic fashion, particularly, I think, the subculture of Gothic that we know today? That's a good question. I, in the book, I say the Victorian era was one of the first consciously Gothic eras. The regency a bit, but it wasn't full, wasn't as mainstream, perhaps. Uh, mm. But the Victorian period is when reaches saturation and people are being almost consciously gothic but not in the way we would perhaps understand goth today but then yeah for the modern goth movement definitely the late 1970s and the early 1980s is is pivotal that's when you get the um the goth movement coming out of the sort of i think somebody described it as the ashes of punk and a bit of um you know new romantics and a bit of mm. um glam rockers kind of all those kind of things in the zeitgeist contributing to making um the goth movement then and the goth movement is very much linked to the the punk movement of the 1970s and then you've got all these kind of on the ground experiences in nightclubs such as like the the bat cave which was a club night in london where a lot of people came together and sort of the goth modern goth movement as we know it started so I would say yeah the modern the modern goth movement definitely the early 1980s and maybe the late 1970s you start to get the seeds and again historically the Victorian period it basically informs how we see the gothic instead of the goth if that makes sense Mm. because there's a lot more gothic literature in that period so when we're imagining gothic stories we're kind of imagining them through a gothic lens and the victorians are very good at cherry picking things from history deciding they were gothic and then like mashing them all together (laughs) so we're viewing (laughs) gothic through which is the victorians do for like pretty much everything every every kind of history we're viewing for a victorian lens essentially (laughs) so yeah i think the gothic a lot of what people think of and some of the inspirations for gothic dress now comes from victorian fashion Mm. But then also how the Victorians regurgitated fashions of the past as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, yeah. I think it's really interesting because you kind of have the two separate entities of Gothic and Goth and Mm. they tie together a lot, but they're also quite separate in their own way, which is also interesting to me 
how it mm. goth is obviously inspired by the gothic but it also now has sort of become its own thing i guess it's seen yeah. more of a subculture isn't it whereas historical yeah. fashion isn't even though yeah well it should yeah, be. It's, yeah it's really funny isn't it because some people are really and something i remember like oh yeah the goth in the 1980s are nothing to do with any other use of the word gothic and i was like well i think that they are not mm. in terms that they weren't directly not all of them are directly inspired by that but it's still the the word applies because it's capturing that same thing like the melancholy element like with the victorians romanticism was more like a rosy-eyed version of the past whereas the gothic is like a melancholy version of the mm. past in a way and i think that's the thing it's the kind of melancholy element and the darker element and then the the original like um goths and gothic that word was well the goth <laughs> i don't know where to stop the goth people were sort of from northern europe and they were the barbarians that were against the romans and then they settled in italy and spain and france and this is a very very um beginner's version mm. but they kind of <laughs> became the ostrogoths and the Visigoths. and they're the kind of when they converted to christianity the churches and things that were built are kind of like the early dark ages medieval sort of churches and then they get called gothic because they were in those regions and then mm. in the uk by the restoration we destroyed a lot of our older catholic churches not all of them but a lot of them and then we would then apply that word to meeting those sorts of churches in europe with that kind of iconography so that's still and the kind of big crosses and even though like the goths of the 80s and late 70s 1970s are kind of sometimes subverting that all of that imagery still is used by um modern goths isn't it as well and then nowadays a lot of people that dress goth and are gothic weren't around for the back cave and mm. like those early bands and actually are into it for the aesthetic and then are into it for like you said dressing in a historical way or are into it for the then tie it back to gothic literature and things like that so in a way it's almost come full circle because of social media and actually the image being so important and people are some people are interested into the music as well of course some people are into both but a lot of people are into actually the aesthetic and then like mm. things like dark academia and things is kind of a yeah you know child or of the gothic and things like that so mm. I think it's really confusing and there's lots of layers and depends who you ask and that's what I find quite stressful about <laughs> a big word but about writing the later chapters because it's a lived experience for a lot of people and a lot of people have very strong opinions about it so I was just trying to say with the modern ones these are different things that have used the word gothic or goth but there's I don't think there's a right or an answer I think it's a very personal thing for how people might want to you know interpret it if that makes sense yeah that's true and I think like, like you said goth most likely does come from the idea of the gothic because well nothing happens in a vacuum you know everything mm. snowballs and things get inspired by different elements and different political backdrops so I think yeah. The likelihood is it did evolve to what we know today in some way, maybe different for everybody. But yeah, yeah. I think and sometimes they are yeah. seen as separate, but it's like, no, they're intrinsically it's, tied. <laughs> it's still the same vibe. And I think the people that would have dressed in a Victorian Gothic manner are probably still the same people that would have gone to the Batcave and then are probably still the same mm -hmm. people that are sort of doing hashtag goths on Instagram. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it's, it's just, just different, different generations. Different in, yeah. yeah, interpreting it differently, perhaps. Yeah. Um, yeah yeah and I think what's interesting is the word has always well yeah kind of it has changed slightly what it means over the over history but again that's what the book was looking at but the more you look at it the more it kind of has a lot of similar 
similarities in what it means as well, if that makes mm. sense. So it was kind of more drawing on the similarities of how it's been reused and reapplied and regurgitated and, yeah, reborn and things like that. In your research of the book, did you uncover any interesting aspects or lesser known aspects of the history of Gothic fashion that stood out to you or that you found interesting over, you know, more well-known topics? That's a good question. I suppose what I was interested in was sort of tying it all together in terms of the book. So, yeah, taking all these um, things that were known as it were um, I suppose just putting them all together in one place mm. and tying them all together but um, it was quite interesting researching the chapter four which was looking at um, the early cinema mm. and how that um, how that affected you know how that portrayed the gothic and the uh, success of early horror films or shudder films as they were called and the early um or femme fatales um, and their effect on gothic fashion and then Mm -hmm. the kind of portrayal of um, gothic heroines because then a lot of that I would say the look of gothic characters because before films in a funny way it's almost like a lot of people were imagining things in their own way you'd kind of be like oh he had you know he was tall he had dark hair whatever but you weren't all seeing the same image because not everyone would have had access to paintings and books either mm. but with films everyone's suddenly seeing the same image so you suddenly have a great collective imagining of what um dracula looks like and things like that which is then quite interesting because that i think really does directly influence the goths of the later 20th century and some of the stylistic choices that are made um like i'm probably going to say her name wrong now Cedarborough. Yes. Was a famous, yeah, a famous them them tell, and really interesting. I got quite interested in her, but she sort of was one of the first people that popularised putting the, you know, big black eyes, painting painting around her mm. eyes black, and doing bold lipsticks and things like that. Mm. So that that kind of thing was quite interesting. Because then you having all the information together, you could sort of trace things back and be like, oh, well, the same things aren't connected, but actually the. You know, the films of the 1920s have a lot of impact. I would say a lot more impact than perhaps we give them credit for on the gothic. Mm goth look of the later 20th century um and it still does the same thing that re- the victorian gothic movements were doing and the regency gothic movements are doing of like incorrectly reimagining and mashing up the darker sides of history yeah <laughs> and stuff like that which is quite fun so that was interesting and then also on a very kind of costume nerdy point of view when i was going around the archives looking at different um costume um fashion items close up dresses and bodices what i found really interesting so this is for the regency period so um for your listeners, if you imagine, you know, the, your classical um, regency gowns, simple, plain, white, and there's not a lot of ornamentation on the earlier ones. Mm. And then in the later regency period, so sort of the 1810s onward, they start to get more ornament, um, ornamentation on them. And that's often called gothic, depending on how it's done. And a good way to think of this, I am going somewhere with this, a good way to think <laughs> of this <laughs> is the 1995 BBC adaptation of Pride um, Prejudice. So Lizzie Bennet has, her dresses are quite, they look quite early. They look quite plainer, simple. They're not, they don't have as much adornment on them. The Bingley sisters, especially like Anna Chancellor, her dress has a lot more ornamentation on it. So mm. even though it's not black, some of the ornamentation on her dress could be considered gothic because it's like this reimagining of certain historical 
style planted onto a Regency dress is the actual construction entirely different, mm-hmm. which I didn't realise and isn't much written about unless you read books on actual dress construction, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The early neoclassical dresses, the sort of plainer, whiter ones, they're, a lot of them are apron style. So you're almost, um, it's really interesting, you're almost like wrapping them over and sort of pinning parts of them on the top. So mm-hmm. you don't actually do them up at the back like we would assume. Mm. So they are easier to put on than a lot of other historical styles, but they are not as straightforward as you might initially imagine. And it's only in the 1810s that people start sort of around all the, you know, that's kind of time roughly because there's no exact mm. like pinpoint. No, yeah, it's all kind of just evolves, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that people start having more um, hook and eyes and or fastenings up the back of the dresses mm. so how we would wear a dress today yeah yeah ornament. and that then allows for you to have more ornamentation because the structure of the dress is actually different whereas when you're doing it up apron style or kind of it's kind of almost like a wrap over style mm. and in a way again to try to describe it with words <laughs> it wouldn't um it wouldn't support that kind of ornamentation as well so I found that really interesting and I think I do mention it in the book but I almost felt it was quite interesting that it hadn't been really covered at all. And then the initial, those kind of earlier, like, backs are quite loose. Well, not loose, but they're not, they're, yeah, they're almost like hooks and eyes or very kind of flimsy strings. And then as the period goes on and we kind of start towards the um, the sort of more romantic styles and the mm. thicker fabrics and even more ornamentation and more cover-ups, because really I always think of the Regency dresses it's probably a bad analogy, but almost like mini skirts because they were quite scandalous at the time and they're quite flimsy. Yeah, yeah. They're quite simple flimsy. as well. And, yeah. you know, they show more of the body, I think, uh, well, the they natural do. body. We People don't yeah. think about that, but actually a Victorian yeah. or a mid-1800s dress, it's showing your body, but not your real body. It's <laughs> showing exactly. a constructed body. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, the, the Victorians were then quite scandalised by what their grandparents wore, mm. you know. And people used to actually wear, like, pink stockings underneath their Regency dresses so you mm. might like kind of entice the idea that you're seeing flesh a bit more or kind of make their the, their petticoats a little bit damp so that it would be a bit clingy and stuff mm. like that um but then kind of for lots of reasons society sort of as it does you get these periods of sort of more conservative point of view following these of uh, these sort of sexy periods mm-hmm. <laughs> the 1870s you start to get a lot more conservative and so you you stick with dresses being done up at the back but you kind of have an underlayer being done up with buttons and then an overlayer being done up with buttons. Mm. So then they're even they're able to actually, just in terms of aesthetic, support even more decorantation and decorantation? <laughs> decorantation <laughs> and thicker fabrics and things like that. But it's as a result of society getting more conservative as well. So I thought that was mm. interesting, just literally the construction of the dresses allows for different decoration, which actually allows for more Gothic decoration because mm. that is one of the things with Gothic is that it is quite decorative maximalist (laughs) it's definitely maximalist isn't it yeah and the victorians are definitely maximalist but that that kind of those extra layers and extra buttons and thicker fabrics allow and support the maximalism Hmm. but that's interesting though because i don't think many people would associate regency jane austen fashion you know that's obviously much more popular at the moment with anything to do with gothic but actually yeah. it's like well that would have been the birth that's when the seeds are being sown of that kind of stuff that then allowed the victorians to uh, you yeah. know grow it even more so yeah it's, yeah it's interesting to think about yeah when you see well obviously Bridgerton is 
fast and loose with the old history and that's why people, you know, it's just fun as if you want to say do you like British and I'm like it's just fun come on you guys it's just fun so yeah. Lady, yeah just go with it Lady Danbury like no none of the costumes are particularly accurate but if you're just taking them as like general Lady Danbury is very gothic or what would have been mm. considered gothic for the period which for our eyes might not necessarily gothic but when you say it you're like oh yeah I can kind of see Actually, it she yeah. kind of has roughs doesn't she and big collars mm. and slightly like fancy sleeves and different color fabrics and it's the idea of drawing those um styles from like the re- the um renaissance sorry and medieval and then you're kind of just chucking them onto a regency gown mm. but then it gets to a point where a regency gown is so flimsy that it can't support all of that it can't so then the gowns actually get bigger and thicker to support them if that makes sense yeah yeah no <laughs> it's so interesting because yeah it's like i said earlier these things don't just grow out of nowhere these these fashion mm. trends it all just evolves and things change over time and one mm. thing is a reaction to something else you know and obviously yeah. the gothic is going to be no stranger to that it'll be exactly the same thing which so yeah it's, i've never even even considered yeah. regency and conversations around the gothic but now yeah <laughs> and it's, it's interesting to think i of the now like again with the 1970s and the 1980s gothic is considered like very radical and shocking mm. and things like that and sometimes can still be considered quite shocking I think maybe not as much anymore but it can yeah. be t- t- a bit whereas actually in the Victorian period it is linked yeah especially in like the 1820s and the 1830s it's it's linked to actually a move to be more conservative because it's covering up more of the body because they're being inspired mm. by Elizabethan styles and these thicker fabrics and these longer more bell-shaped skirts and stuff yeah, I bet people who were part of the gothic subculture when it was sort of newer in the yeah, 80s and stuff didn't think they would be a conservative or they were yeah. dressing like that. But actually, technically yeah. they kind of are, which is just, yeah. yeah, this is what I love about fashion. It's like just subverting all your your Ooh. ideas about, you know, all these sorts Ooh. of things. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? It's just, it's yeah, it's so interesting. It's linked a lot with punk and other sort of real like extreme subcultures, but actually it's just it's conservatism <laughs> it's just a different form of conservatism very interesting so with all that in mind in your research did you pick up on any specific designers or individuals that kind of like spearheaded or impacted you know gothic aesthetics either you know in the past or in the more modern subculture that we we're talking about a lot of the um dressmakers and things of the past their names tend to be um tend to be lost unfortunately and mm. um as you probably know it's more as we get to the late um the late 1800s and then to the 20th century when we actually start to make a bigger deal of the of the designers um i think now i don't think he consciously intended it but i think looking back a lot of designs from the house of worth Mm. can look gothic to our modern eye um and can look very sort of like the tv drama you know um penny dreadful yes and that yeah. kind of thing and that's sort of what i mean about gothic fashions then when we look through the lens and victorian fashions when we look through the lens can then seem gothic to our eyes if that makes mm. sense so yeah. i think yeah a lot of and there's quite a few house of worth dresses in the book because to us they do look gothic and the the colors and things as well I would say modern. There's a lot. There's obviously a lot of modern designers that have been have been influenced by um, or were goth. And I find as well working in fashion history. Sorry, working in fashion history, you meet a lot of people that either were goths or are still goths or are a bit goth to use you know their own mm. words. So I think 
it's it's quite funny that a lot of people that are really into fashion and fashion history tend to have some kind of link to the gothic or the or the goth. But in terms mm-hmm. of designers, I mean, I would say Alexander McQueen experiments a lot and has a, had a big relationship with the goth and the gothic. Skulls, Lily a lot of skulls. skulls. Yeah, and he's um, he sort of he's like a Jack the Ripper uh, collection. Yeah, oh. yeah, Jack Ripper stalks his victims was one of his collections, and he also had another collection called Highland Rape as well. Um, Vivian Westwood is another one. Obviously, she's yeah. originally um, punk, but then she was new romantic, and then she does a lot of kind of historically inspired designs. So she's mm. off, um, she, her designs off, often can be called gothic. And um, the ones that, yeah, she, she actually had a collection in 1983 to 1984, I think it was her winter collection that was called Witches. Um, she used, obviously, the mini crinny in the 1980s, which is like a mini crinoline. So, again, mm. like a reimagining of Victorian fashion. Yeah, and a lot of her other collections have kind of had gothic gothic references. Anna Sue, the American designer, oh, yeah. she explores and, and experiments with a lot of um, subculture references anyway, but she's had some gothic collections as well. And I think she does, she does actually openly say that she's been inspired by the gothic as well, and Victoriana kind mm. of elements. Christian Lacroix, I would say, he's perhaps not one that people immediately think of, but if you look at some of his wedding dresses and his evening gowns, and again, his experimentation with history, mm. I think he, and one of my most favourite images, and I got a small image of it in the book, because it's quite hard to get hold of an image of it, is he did a black wedding gown in 1992, oh, okay. which is incredible. Um, and then there's also, I mean, yeah, there's a, there is a lot. There's Rick Owens, obviously, as well. Um, he, he kind of has described his work as, Glunge, which is a mixture of glamour and grunge, which is obviously mm. quite quite gothic. Jean-Paul Gaultier has had some kind of flirtations with the gothic. Obviously, Gareth Pugh mm. um, is very gothic as well. Um, I'm trying. I'm just. I'm just as well trying to get everyone so I don't miss. But there's, yeah, there's a lot of other designers I would say that have experimented with the gothic as well. But I think those are the those are some of the big names that people people would think of there was a little there was a not little there was a brand called alchemy which was set up in the 1970s um and that is was kind of the, one of the first companies to sell sort of goth style jewelry or what we would oh, now yeah, yeah. like silver chunky kind of celtic inspired jewelry as well um quite there's been some japanese designers like the fact um yeah there's been some japanese designers that have experimented with it as well and um yeah, a lot of there's lots of people kind of have it as um a lot of designers I think tend to have a bit of a gothic phase or will do a gothic collection. Mm. Even high street shops as well. This time of year, October, you go down the high street and everyone's yeah. kind of got a Halloween display and they're getting out the sort of black tutu skirts or their <laughs> long black coats or big black black boots, aren't they? So I think it's always there, sort of bubbling around in the back yeah. And they're all inspired by these, you know, historical designs for the most part. And like you say, House yeah. of Worth, they, they might not have been self-aware that what they were creating yeah. as gothic. But for nowadays, that's where the inspiration yeah. comes from. I guess mm. it's also that it's very, like, instantly recognisable, you know. The, the gothic mm. style is like, you know it straight away. It's yeah. got distinct colours, distinct shapes. And yeah, like you were saying, the Celtic inspired jewellery, I always think of, like, the huge black diamante crosses. <laughs> Yeah, you know that you yeah. see stuff like that but yeah. yeah it's like got very distinct elements to it so I guess as a if you're a designer if you want to create a gothic range you kind of have quite a strong base to jump from yeah and that's yeah that's and I suppose yeah 
it references a lot of historical northern European fashion as well, which obviously mm. in the West that's a lot of a lot of inspiration to to draw on just a part part of the kind of Western or mm. you know Northern Hemisphere cultural heritage. So in some ways, for designers, it's almost hard. It'd be really hard to have a long career as a designer and not draw on the gothic yeah <laughs> in some you, way you'd be remiss not to like there's so much yeah. going there's <laughs> so much backlog there that you could draw from it's kind of yeah. may as well but yeah no that that is interesting the kind of distinctiveness of it I think that's maybe what's made it um have so much longevity in terms of it being popular and able mm. to have separate subcultures within the gothic as well because it's, there's so much to it and it's so distinctive yeah yeah so do you have a like a personal favorite um era or element of gothic fashion that sort of you find yourself drawn to because i feel like within any sort of time period or subculture everyone has like something that they like the best maybe you don't but um yeah that's a really good question i suppose i like the the gothic fashion perhaps obviously that draws on historical fashion um Mm. so like the historical goths or the kind of witchy goth aesthetic I suppose is what I like and that's what got me into it I suppose as a as a teenager just wanting to dress like a historical character really <laughs> so I did come come to it for the more historical stuff yeah floaty skirt big boots corsets long coat mm. as opposed to the music and then there's some of the music that I like but I definitely got into it more because I was reading lots of books and just wanting to wear lots of floaty dresses essentially yeah, so so there's that. In terms of the historical periods, obviously with my thesis, I was really interested in, in the Regency and then the, the shift from the, the Regency to the sort of early Victorian period in the 1820s and the 1810s is when you start to see that shift kind of taking place. But weird, like the 1820s is such a mad period for fashion, so it's not always... It's yeah. not always the most, the most glamorous era. It's kind of a mentally exaggerated. It's a bit transitional, like, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, it isn't, and you don't see it a lot on period dramas, I think, because it looks so crazy. <laughs> Gentleman Jack does it really well, but a lot of other period dramas are like, like, oh, let's just set it in the 1830s and stuff like that, or the 1810s. <laughs> um, I like how bizarre it is, especially that weird curly hairstyle where you get yeah. little bits down the side. I love it. It doesn't look good on anyone. I yeah. I like it. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's, it is a really interesting period. And when I've seen some of the dresses when I was doing the research today, like the sleeves are insane, like the big yeah. lamb mutton sleeves. So like the side of your them, head. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of I, I reckon a gentleman like the gentleman Jack's done it, but I reckon it's mm. due for a bit of a perhaps a reinvention and the yeah. focusing on the but yeah, like I don't know, I don't know if that's my uh, favourite period per se, but I do like a lot of Victorian fashions and a lot of the mid Victorian fashions when you've got the sort of bell shaped skirts and the crinolines and, and um yeah, I do like corsets and I feel corsets have been often quite maligned as everyone was really tight laced for a thousand years. No, mm. they weren't. Um, tight lacing is like stiletto shoes, you know, not everyone. Pretty new, yeah. Yeah, and not, and not everyone would tight lace, just like not everyone wears stiletto shoes. Um, corsets were just a form of underwear. Yeah. And if you have them fitted well and you're not tight lacing them, they can be fairly comfortable. There's no reason why they mm. weren't this terrible thing. If you think of it as a time before like Spanx and underwire bras, again, Spanx and underwire bras, they're not the most comfortable thing, of course, but they're not as horribly uncomfortable as... They're not going to stop you breathing, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, people exactly. assume about corsets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. 
Um, but I'm not, you know, I'm not saying everyone has to be right to wearing corsets either. I just say, <laughs> I like that. I like that aesthetic of it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I guess when you, some people get funny about people wearing corsets now, cause they're a bit like, why would you do something that, you know, controlled women and made them suffer? Mm. And you're like, actually the, they're probably people that were, unfortunately, but also it was just day-to-day underwear, wasn't it? It's like, so. Yeah, nobody was, nobody was forcing, I don't think, people to wear, I think it's fair to say people to wear corsets. It's like, it's like, I don't know. If so, if nowadays you heard of, I don't know, somebody's husband or father saying you must wear an underwire bra, that wouldn't, they're not going to say that. No, <laughs> pers- there's a lot of personal choice in yeah. Exactly. The same 200 years ago as nowadays, people had different preferences and they were human beings, just like, yeah. we are. you know, everyone did things the differently. The time. Yeah, so I don't yeah. think it was. And obviously, yeah, it's, it's good that fashions change and evolve and things like that. But then, you know, things like, this sounds like a really old granny, but like, also, <laughs> then no, I should respect our um, matriarch. Like but um, the, um, like, thongs are not healthy for people to no. wear. No, <laughs> they're, they're not good for you. <laughs> no, they're not good for you. And no one can see it anyway. No one knows. But yeah, the corset probably fits in that. Like, if you want to wear a corset today, if it fits yeah. you, if it's comfortable, if you're into the gothic aesthetic, you yeah. do you do what you got to do. <laughs> With that in mind, do you have any advice for people, individuals who want to start incorporating gothic elements into their fashion, or like good places to start to sort of? add these historical gothic elements into their current wardrobe that's a good question um I would say a big cliche and say you do you because Mm. I don't always dress super gothic and I've been told by some people that I'm gothic and been told by other people that I'm not gothic and Mm -hmm. um yeah people can get quite funny about it and I'm like often and I say this in the book as well a lot of people are kind of told they're gothic or told they're goth and then they're like okay and then someone else will tell them they're not and yeah all the rest of it so I think in the book I say I'm a bit of a fair weather goth in that in the winter I wear I do wear a lot more black and velvet and dark I love lipstick anyway but I, yeah I wear a lot of darker shades and things like that um whereas in the summer I tend to be um a bit more kind of boho-y and um floaty but always always long dresses and yeah. <laughs> floaty garments but just different colors depending on the season <laughs> Um, and then for work, I tend to just look kind of vintagey because that's a formal way that you can get away with being yeah, yeah. in a fashion museum. Well, in a fashion museum, I'm quite lucky, aren't I? But I, yeah, mm-hmm. I would say you don't don't try and like. It's not like a checklist that you have to go and get um, I don't know, a Sisters of Mercy t-shirt and a New Rock boots and all the rest mm-hmm. of it straight away. Just do what you like and do, choose what you like. Um, if you want to sort of gradually build it in, I always think brooches are quite fun and quite an easy way to make an outfit look a bit more gothic or a bit more historical, like on your jacket or something or the jewellery I like jewellery and I think again you can get a lot of jewellery secondhand or a lot of costume jewellery that can really elevate an outfit having some basics that you can interchange that are perhaps if yeah if you wanted to go with the gothic aesthetic that are darker to just have as your base are always quite good and then you can build on top of those so just like yeah black t-shirts or skirts quite good and you can come across things in charity shops quite easy. Mm. I'm saying you do you and do what you like, but a long black coat is always is always very good, but it's also a very useful garment <laughs> as well. And then maybe just choosing what, just really focus on choosing, choosing what you like and letting your imagination run wild. I think that's part of the fun of it. And you can get a lot of sort of goth clothes online quite cheaply nowadays, but, so, you know, maybe just be careful of fast fashion. And, and it's just as fun to go to a charity shop and 
buys you can get a lot of you know long black clothes mm. in charity shops or dark clothes in charity shops and dye them and experiment with them yourself so I would say and I actually think about this now I always have a lot of ribbons so I use ribbons as belts and I have yeah. tied ribbons into my hair and ribbons as jewellery is really nice and I think that can look quite gothic as well and you can yeah that's quite a cheap way actually of changing an outfit and elevating it if you've got yeah mm. a ribbon as a belt or a ribbon with sort of bits hanging off it on your on your neck or on your wrist things like that um, yeah and ribbons are quite yeah. um historical as well like all different fashion subcultures but particularly the victorian have included ribbons like ribbon chokers and stuff like that you see that crop up a lot so yeah on that topic one of my favorite anecdotes actually that i read and i should have said it earlier and some people when i say this yeah some people are quite shocked and some people find it quite funny so i don't know take it as you will (laughs) but in the late 1790s obviously you've had the French Revolution and lots of aristocrats were guillotined and um, mm-hmm. some came over uh, to the UK that had avoided the guillotine and then it was said that these young girls young um, sort of fashionista girls were doing it in tribute but people at the time found it quite distasteful and it was a trend that did not last very long mm. but they cut their hair short so it's one of the other few periods in history when really really fashionable girls had short hair Mm. they would wear white dresses so white was actually could be a bit gothic a bit gothic perhaps in the regency period because they were wearing it to look like they were being led to the guillotine you know in there yeah and then they would wear a red ribbon around or a red necklace around their neck wow so they would yeah basically trying to look like they've been guillotined and obviously either offended or (laughs) thought this was a tribute and even nowadays some people when I say that some people are still surprisingly like um, well, not surprisingly, because it is pretty macabre, but some people find that quite uncomfortable. Mm. And then to think of girls in the late 1790s do it kind of really skews your ideas of um, girls from the 1790s. But that's part of the reason why I got into the idea of the Regency Goths was these, or Gothic in different periods, because I was thinking people have always been inventive and scandalous with their dress, haven't they? And, yeah. And I guess the Gothic at its heart is just an obsession with, obsession with like the macabre. <laughs> With dark yeah. elements and you know horrible spooky things and the guillotine yeah. was pretty macabre yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you think about it so yeah. that's yeah that's really interesting actually I love learning those little tidbits about like historical subcultures because people do I think can tend to tar people with the same brush particularly when it comes to fashion of just everybody wore the same thing wars and yeah. style and it's only in the last 50 years that we've ever subverted that you're like no 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 people have always been <laughs> subverting yeah. fashion and doing things that's unexpected and you know the the punks of the 80s and the goths of the 80s were there was nothing new really they it already, yeah, yeah. already happened in different ways it just maybe yeah, yeah. a little bit different it's really interesting and since it's, it's halloween as well one of the things i found especially in the plaque gallery they had a few sort of fancy dress costumes and mm. fancy dress balls were really big in the victorian period but also in the regency period and when the gothic sort of trend with this all this gothic literature that was coming out was starting to take hold mm. so through the, the regency in the victoria a big trend to go to was like tragic queen so it was to dress up as a beheaded queen like <laughs> or a dead queen like mary queen of scots or lady jane gray and people mm. like that they were hugely popular as fancy dress costumes yeah and that kind of elevated and romanticized yeah this idea of gothic fashion mm. that makes sense these sort of tragic heroines and things like that were yeah interesting yeah. I mean, dark, but interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess in the Victorian times, the Tudors would have still felt like hundreds of years ago. 
It wasn't, yeah, it's the, you know, yeah, to them sure. that would have been history. <laughs> yeah, it was. And the, the Tudors were popular in the Victorian times because it was another great queen. So, yeah. you know, another golden age for the you know, British oh. Empire. But yeah, Elizabeth and then Victoria. So there was sort of lots of references to the Elizabethan fashion. And if you look at the yeah, shape of the Victorian dresses, they, they are kind of inspired by the Elizabethan dresses. Mm. Yeah, yeah. How have I never made that connection before? You're so right. Yeah. yeah. That's what, that's that's so what they're kind of regurgitating. And it's... um. And especially Elizabethan, more so than early Tudor. If you think of the, the shapes, well, that's a whole other yeah. podcast, isn't it? But the shape. <laughs> <laughs> we'll end off of where where is the book available? Where can people access this book? And where can people find you? <laughs> well, if you, um, it's available from Unicorn Publishing, mm-hmm. but at the moment, there's not actually that many copies available. Mm-hmm. There's literally about 10 copies left. <laughs> Mm. I have the 10 copies and I'm selling them at events I'm doing in the next few weeks. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> I found out I found out last week and they were like, yeah, it's nearly sold out now. And we're thinking about reprinting it, but we haven't decided yet. And I'm like, okay, we're well, doing all these events. I mean, that's exciting though that <laughs> yeah. you've nearly sold it, out. Yeah. So maybe if you, maybe, yeah. So it's available from Unicorn Publishing. Okay. If people are interested, you go on the website. It would be helpful if they contacted Unicorn Publishing because then it might get us around. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, and my Instagram is Kitty Costume. So K-I-T-T-I-E Costume. My name is Katie with an I-E, Godman, G-O-D-M-A-N. I have a WordPress site, Katie Godman, and I have Costume is my Instagram so that's how people can get hold of me. And also Blanford Fashion Museum is mm-hmm. where I work. So people can always contact me through Blanford Fashion Museum as well. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been lovely chatting with you. you. Yeah, lovely. Now I feel like I need to go watch a Hammer Horror movie. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. you again to Katie for coming on the episode. I really loved learning about the more unexpected origins of gothic fashion and where it might have come from and how it's evolved over time is really something I didn't expect to find out in this episode and it is something that can be found out in her book Gothic Fashion the History from Unicorn Publishing. It is as she said available in limited quantities at the moment so if it's something you're interested in and you want to know more and you want to read the book do pick up a copy now while you still can it is an absolutely fabulous read it's full of pictures tidbits of information facts figures quotes and as katie said it is an amazing starting point to finding out more about concepts of the gothic but particularly when it comes to the fashion so thank you again katie for coming on and thank you everybody for listening to this episode happy halloween i hope you enjoy your night and have enjoyed the entirety of spooky season and I certainly have. Stay fab, everyone, and I will see you in the next one. <laughs>